Um, it's so important that we understand this. And so I want to ask a question. Is there anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, you can just answer in your own heart. Is there anybody here who could use a little more joy? Is there anybody here who could use the often belittled emotion of happiness? See, preachers have often preached, and I probably have too, that happiness is just an emotion. It's just a feeling. It's fleeting. It comes and it goes. I, I can say that's true. And what we really need is joy. Joy is the foundational character of a believer. I agree with that too. But the Bible teaches we need both joy and happiness. And we're, we're going to look at that today, joy and happiness. And if you say, well, I just don't know happiness is that important, you ought to try it sometime. You ought to try being happy. It's really a, a wonderful emotion. If you've never experienced it before, you ought to try it. It's like, wow, that really felt wonderful. And so it's a good thing to be happy. Are our slides working today? Okay. Uh, there we go. Good. Okay. By the way, you're the yellow person. Okay, just want to make sure you're not the blue person, you're the yellow person, okay? You are a happy person. A guy named Dennis Prager, and I've shared this before. I think one time I was so motivated about this article, I sent out to everybody that was on the church mailing list. Dennis Prager wrote uh, an article. Now, it's an article, okay? For those of you who go, I just don't know if I could read a book. Okay, okay, men especially. I just don't know if I could read a whole book. Um, it's an article, and an article by Dennis Prager uh, called Happiness is a Moral Obligation. Very interesting title, Happiness is a Moral Obligation. And I would encourage you to read that. It's very, very powerful. And I want to read a few things out of the article and would encourage you to get it. Just, you know, look for it online. You'll find it. Here's some quotes out of the article. If you want to understand why happiness is a moral virtue that we are obligated to pursue, ask anyone raised by an unhappy parent or who is married to an unhappy spouse or who has an unhappy child, what that is like. He says, right there, you will find out that happiness is very, very important. He says this, happy Muslims don't become suicide bombers. Isn't that true? The very fact that they want to murder and die in order to be rewarded in the afterlife is a testament of how little joy they experience in this life. One reason the miserable and moody act the way they do is because they believe they have suffered more than those who act happy. But this is false. Most of those who walk around with a cheerful disposition have suffered at least as much as those who have a moody and miserable one. There's rarely a correlation between suffering and disposition. And it says more good things than that. But I started thinking about that. Really, is it not that you've suffered more and that's why you're moody and that's why you're miserable? And, and there's, there's truth in this. Misery loves company. You notice that if, if you're miserable, you want somebody to be miserable with you. But I've also learned this. Misery loves company. Company doesn't love misery. If you're a miserable person, you might wonder, I wonder why I never get invited to any gatherings. Ah, because really they don't want a cloud coming in on the gathering. And so I want to encourage you, work on, we'll talk about how to develop an attitude of, of joy and happiness in our lives. So misery may love company, but company doesn't love misery. And as I thought about this, I thought, how about Joseph? Remember Joseph's life in the Old Testament? Now, if you're here for the first time, you've never been church before, that's okay. You'll still understand where we're going, even if you don't even know who Joseph is. That's okay. Joseph was the beloved son of Jacob. Joseph was a child of Jacob as in his older years. And so Joseph had, you might remember, the coat of many colors. And, so, and he had these wonderful dreams about how he was going to be in charge of the whole family. That doesn't fly real well when you're the baby of the family and you tell everybody how 
you know, the sun and the moon are going to bow down to me. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, you're, you're pretty confident in yourself. And so one day, Jacob tells his son Joseph, go out to the field and, and check on your brothers. So they go out to the field. This is how much they love Joseph. They caught him, were go, they were going to murder him and throw him in a pit. And then somebody, Reuben was always trying to save him, said, let's not kill him, let's just throw him in the pit. You know, he'll just throw in there, he can die in there. Reuben had in his head he was going to come back and rescue him later. But some of the other family said, what good would it, what profit would it be for us to kill the guy? Let's sell him. Let's sell him into slavery. And there just happened to be, I think it was the Midianites or somebody's coming by, and he sold him into slavery, and he got taken and sold to Egypt, to the house of Potiphar. Then he is serving in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife gets an eye for him. He says, no, thank you. And then Potiphar's wife tells lies upon him, and he ends up in jail. Did they ever tell you how wonderful it is to serve God? You might say, this isn't making me want to give my life to Jesus. <laughs> this is the real world, though. And so he spends, the, historically, they say probably about 13 years. They don't know exactly how it's divided between slavery and Potiphar's house and in the prison. And when he's in the prison, he sees Pharaoh, or king's cupbearer, and baker, and sees that they're sad and down. Now, I am supposing from the story that Joseph must have had a pretty upbeat personality and demeanor. Because he looks at them and says, why are you guys sad? Well, I would say if I was them, I don't know, Joseph, maybe just because we've been thrown into prison, that might be why we're sad. But he had such an upbeat personality, he's actually ministering to people who are sad with a cheerful disposition as he's thrown into prison. I want you to know this. It's not just that you've suffered. Everyone's suffered. And some people have suffered so much more than you have. I get that. But here's an example of Joseph who lost everything for a season and still had a positive disposition. So as we look at this, we say, okay, so you're, you're telling me that Christians should overflow with joy and happiness. What kind of crazy teaching is that? Well, I'm going to tell you, one I stole from the Bible. That's what kind of crazy teaching that is. I stole this from the Bible. If you remember Jesus, there's a famous, it's Matthew 5's where it's at, but there's a famous discourse where Jesus is teaching on a mountain. It's so powerful, it's teaching so powerful, they actually call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And his teaching is so impactful that over the years, the scholars and the people who love the Bible have looked at that, and probably if you look it up in Matthew 5, uh, it'll say something like the Beatitudes. Jesus teaches the Beatitudes. Now, if you've never heard that term or phrase before, the Beatitudes are things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are, and there's all these blessed, 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 blessed. And when you look up the word blessed, it's... Uh, uh, by the way, the New Testament was written mostly in Greek. Most of us here, if not all of us, don't speak Greek, so it was translated into English so we could read it. And the word blessed is makarios in the Greek. Now, makarios, a great translation for it is blessed or blessed. But there's other things. If you ever think of like a, a thesaurus and synonyms, what are other things? So if you look this up in your Bible dictionary and Strong's Concordance or any you know, Bible dictionary of words, you will find out that makarios means Blessed or blessed. It's a good translation, solid translation. But it also means happy. It means to be envied, to be admired, fortunate, well off. If you study it out, this isn't me making this up. Study this out in Bible words, and they will say basically that the favor of God, the favor of God 
the goodness of God is so on you that people will see it and say, oh my goodness, I want what they have. The favor and benefits of God are so on your life, they say, I want what you have. That's what Jesus is teaching. And so they looked at these teachings and said, we're going to call this the Beatitudes. Now, I don't know about you, but years ago I thought I've heard the word Beatitudes all my life. I've read the word Beatitudes all my life. I've used the word Beatitudes all my life. And I thought, I probably ought to know what the word even means. What does the word Beatitude even mean? So here's what Beatitude means. Beatitude means supreme blessedness or happiness. Beatitudes are intense happiness of the highest kind. In other words, the scholars over the years look at this as these teachings of Jesus are so powerful, so transformative, that they will actually produce in our lives intense happiness of the highest kind. Wow, what a great label. Beatitudes, the teachings of Jesus. Kenneth Taylor, who paraphrased the, new, or paraphrased the King James Bible, a paraphrase, by the way, is not a translation, but they're also very scholarly works. Uh, Kenneth Taylor took uh, the King James Bible, made a paraphrase that was called the Living Bible. Now, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, every household, probably even atheists, had the Living Bible in it because it was so popular. Now, the Living Bible, again, is a paraphrase, and it took the word, Kenneth Taylor took the word blessed and translated it happy. So if you read the, the Living, but not the New Living Translation, the Living Bible, it will say, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of God. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy, happy, because that's a great translation to that word, happy. Happy, but how and where can I find intense happiness of the highest kind? We can find that from understanding and applying, don't miss that part, from understanding and applying the teachings of Jesus. It's not from the things of the world. It's not from acquiring or owning stuff. It's not from fame. It's not from fortune. It's not from accomplishments. It's not from awards. It's not from accolades. If it were so, these folks I'm going to show you would not have taken their lives. Ernest Hemingway, Kurt Cobain, Robin Williams, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, Naomi Judd, all these people took their lives who had what we think of as fame and fortune, notoriety, and awards. Now, I want to say this. Everyone that you just saw struggled with depression, mental illness, addictions. I don't know if the addictions created it or if the, the depression caused them to look for something that would fix it in their life. And so I'm not beating people up here struggling with that. In fact, I saw on the news the other day that this is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I'm going to make a public service announcement right now. I want you well, mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually. If you are struggling with mental illness or with, with depression or with anything like that, seek help immediately. There's nothing to be ashamed of about that. It's, it's so odd if you have high blood pressure or diabetes or you break your arm, you go seek medical help for it. But if you're struggling emotionally or mentally, there's like the stigma on it. And there's one thing I do have to say there are cultures doing, very seldom do I approve of what the culture does. By the way, they don't consort, you know, consult me on this, but the culture or so society does. One thing I do like is they are working fearlessly to kill that stigma of, of mental illness, of being ashamed of that, or struggling mentally and emotionally. So seek help. Because I want to tell you this, the world will not be a better place without you. We need you. We want you. 
God wants you. Seek health spiritually and emotionally and mentally and physically. Do whatever it takes to make sure you're well. And I want to say, you're in a place that's friendly. We love you. We want to help you. We mentioned mental illness the other day, and somebody brought a book up, and, and, uh, and uh, Dr. Hurley, wherever she is, she's probably with the little one. Dr. Hurley said, I, I'll help. Let's make sure you get help. We want to help you. And by the way, I also don't want you to hear something that I wasn't saying, that, my goodness, if you have fame and fortune, money and notoriety, then, then you're, you, you may take your life. No, that's not, that's not true. Lots of people have that who didn't. But I'm saying that it doesn't fix it. There's no thing, there's evidence of the fact there's no thing on planet Earth that can fix it. It takes the Lord and help to fix it. And so I want to encourage you, make sure you get fixed, that you allow people to love on you, to care for you, to pray for you, and get the help that you need. Because no award, you may say to yourself, hey, if I get that promotion at work, then I'm not going to seek help right now. If I get that promotion at work, all will be well. It might for a little bit, but it won't satisfy forever. If I just get that home, or if I just get that car, or if I just get this or that, everything will be well. It might be for a little bit. If you've ever purchased something like that, it does bring a certain happiness for a season, but it's only for a season. You need something in the core of who you are that says there's joy and peace and hope and happiness is generated from the inside of me, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Because things won't be fine just because you get something. Now, I, I was, it was brought to my attention how little Darlene cares about stuff, money, things. We're sitting at home the other day, a few days ago. The phone rings. She answers the phone. She said, talks for just a minute and then hangs up. And I said, who is that? She says, Publishers Clearinghouse, and said, you just won. And I said, and you hung up on them? I said, we have caller ID. Let's get back a hold of these people. She's confident that they wouldn't call you if you won. I'm not so confident. I want to find out some more from these people. But she's like, yeah, that's, that's not cool. You know what? It may help to have money. It may help things, but it doesn't satisfy the deepest need of your life. The deepest need of your life is spiritual. You were built. God planted eternity in your heart. There's something in you that wants to be right with God, and everything else can flow out of that. Because God's not opposed. I want to make sure you know this. God's not opposed to you getting the promotion. God's not opposed. If you, if you drove in today in a brand new car that you just brought, bought yesterday, I'm not picking on that. You shouldn't feel bad about that. You should be excited about it. You should, there's nothing wrong with saying, look at my new car. There's nothing wrong with that. You'll just know this. It won't satisfy the deepest need. If you've ever had your dream car, it was wonderful for a while, and you may actually still like it, but you notice it does not have the appeal it once did. You will go in there, you know, old school with the key, new school, you'll push the button, and you'll realize, huh, I set down this car and I drove it to wherever, and I didn't have that original giddiness of the first month I had the car because it's not meant to satisfy forever. The Lord is. So, if the things of the world could satisfy you, King Solomon would have been satisfied by the things of the world. He writes this book called Ecclesiastes, and it's very much through there the concept of under the sun, meaning if it's just earthly things, it doesn't satisfy. We need something more than just earthly things. Now, I always crack up when I read Solomon or anybody like this. Let's say you're struggling. You're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. You're trying to, especially now, you're trying to figure out how to put gas in the car. You're trying to figure out this stuff. And some guy who's a multimillionaire sits down, you strike up a conversation with him. You're struggling financially, barely making it. The guy who's a multimillionaire says, let me tell you something, son. 
things don't, don't solve your needs. I got homes all over the world. I got private jets and yachts. I have more money than I know what to do with. It doesn't satisfy. Isn't there something that you want to say? Well, let's just trade for a month. You know, let's trade and see how you like my side of the fence versus yours. Well, Solomon's getting ready to tell us that stuff doesn't fix everything. So, you think about this because Solomon's going to, to tell us what does satisfy. Now, when you look at this, you wonder, okay, Solomon, what did you find that satisfied? Was it your opulent palace? Was it your sizable harem? Was it your vast fields, vineyards, building projects? Was it the finest art, music, and entertainment on planet Earth, which, by the way, King Solomon had all those things. Was it your unimaginable wealth? He had all those things. He said this, there was nothing that I desired that I didn't go after. And he had the resources to do it. And when he was done with everything, I'm sure that it brought him some pleasure, some joy, some happiness for a season, but when all the dust settled, he found out it didn't satisfy for the long term. And he said, under the sun, nothing satisfies. It's empty, it's, it's vain. And then he said, here's what I found that's fulfilling. There's hope for us, people. Ecclesiastes 2.24. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these are pleasures from the hand of God. Hmm. Here's Ecclesiastes 3.12-13. So I concluded there's nothing better than to be, what's the next word? Happy. There's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves. Enjoy is the word joy is in there. To enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, and these are gifts from God. Now I'm going to paraphrase that. we got Memorial Weekend coming up. Here's how I think Solomon would say it today. Hey, do you have a job you like most of the time? Do you have a family you come home to that you love? Did you get the day off to grill some burgers and some hot dogs? And you ate and you enjoyed life? Solomon would say this. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. These are gifts from God. Aren't you glad? Because I'm going to assume most of us here don't have a palatial mansion. I'm going to assume most of us here don't have unimaginable wealth. I'm going to assume most of us can't say, whatever in the world I want to build, I will do it. No. So it's good to know that you can enjoy the simple things. They're gifts from God. Gifts from the Lord. Here's some wisdom from an atheist. It's not often that I give wisdom from an atheist, but I want to pass this along. An atheist in conversation with a Christian was challenged by the Christian about the hopelessness of his way of living. How that atheism offered nothing to look forward to in the future. To which the atheist replied, I'm very much looking forward to a donut today. I thought that was good. <laughs> now, not that you would forfeit eternal life for a donut, but I thought, what if we enjoy the simple things of life? What if we just said, hey, I'm going to join, I'm, I'm meeting a friend for lunch today. It brings joy to my heart. 45 out of 52 weeks a year on Sunday, I go home to experience what I call a holy sacrament. That's the Sunday afternoon nap. I find great joy with that. It brings me pleasure. I say, ah, you know, enjoying the simple things of life. Enjoy that. I was out mowing the grass. And I just say, you know, Lord, thank you for the strength and the ability to mow. And then I started looking at our house. I said, thank you for our house. Thank you for that. I just said, mowing the grass, simple things of life. 
I thought, could it be any better than this? And I thought, well, actually, Darlene could be mowing, and I could be on the front porch sipping tea, but uh, other than that, it's pretty close. It's wonderful. Just enjoy the, look around, enjoy. There's even a phrase the world has, stop and smell the roses. Stop and smell the roses. Just pause for a minute and just look. I wonder how many things could bring us happiness and joy if we just pause to look at them. I think I've told you this before, up at the Parsons where we used to live, there was a, uh, somebody at one time had planted an iris. I never paid much attention to iris, but it was all bloomed up, and I stopped and just looked at it and just worshiped the Lord. I'm very serious about it. And if you've never stopped to really look at an iris, it's absolutely a beautiful, intricate, amazing flower that I just went, wow, God, you're incredible. And not only did he make irises, I don't know how many different flowers he made. God's a God of variety. He loves variety. If you look around the room, there's nobody in here like you. Thank God. There's nobody in here like you. I'm trying, these are the funniest ones I have today, people. You've got to stay up with me, okay? That's all I got. I, I am determined to buy a laugh track so that when I play back these messages, I can feed in a laugh track on those things so, you know, it can, it can help a little bit. Okay. Of course, I know you're saying, well, say something funny and we might laugh, so I'll, I'll work at that. Now, there's a critical dis distinction that I want to make. Now, it's going to seem like I'm confused now, but you'll get it. We should not make our lives about pursuing joy and happiness. Now, you may say, what was the whole first half of your message about? We should not make our lives about pursuing joy and happiness. We should make our lives about pursuing what creates genuine, lasting joy and happiness. Does that make sense? We, joy and happiness is a byproduct of something. So I've got to find what produces joy and happiness. I want to remind you what we looked at earlier. What could bring the highest happiness, intense and overflowing? Knowing what Jesus teaches and obeying it. We obtain joy and happiness by believing the truth. The truth of God's word. Now, some call this, and I do too, a Christian or a biblical worldview. I'm going to teach more on this next week. This is, next week's message is so important because I'm convinced after talking to many, 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 many Christians and non-Christians over many, many, many years that most people do not even understand how God, what God's plan is as he created the world. So we're going to look at that. So I think you'll lift some fog. Go, oh, okay, that makes, okay, I see what God was up here. So we're going to deal with that, kind of having a Christian worldview next week. But if we have a secular cultural worldview, it all becomes about you. It all becomes about me. It's just what I want. You'll hear me say this a lot because I see this all over the culture and all over the world, and we have to fight it in our own selves. I want what I want, when I want, how I want. I'll do what I want, what, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, where I want, the way I want. I'm I, 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 I. It's all about me. It's all about me. That's the cultural, secular worldview. And as the culture redefines what is good or acceptable, and it may change later, you know, you got to flow with that. And if you're not flowing with it, then you're just, you're just out of it. I mean, you you're obviously don't understand life. But God's word's forever settled in heaven. It never changes. It's steadfast and secure. And so as we look at this, we, we see that we can be all about me. It can be all about I. And we can search for the very things we just said don't work for for possessions or promotion or position or power or fame or fortune. The Bible calls it the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he says those things are from the world, 
not from the Father. And so we have to watch out for that. A Christian biblical worldview says what God says is true. And to do what God says will produce the highest form of happiness and joy, not what the world says. A guy named Craig Groeschel wrote a book, and the title captivated me. It's a really good book. I really liked it. Uh, it's called The Christian Atheist. Now, first of all, it gets your attention, doesn't it? The Christian Atheist. Two words that shouldn't be right at, you know, put together. The Christian Atheist. But he had a subtitle to the book. And the subtitle of the book was Believing in God, but Living as if He Doesn't Exist. Isn't that interesting? Believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. So, hence his choice of words, the Christian atheist. Our joy and happiness is from pursuing God. Not pretending like he doesn't exist. Not, well, I want to get my fire insurance. I want to make sure I go to heaven when I die, but I just want to live how I want to live, the way I want to live, with whom I want to live. You know, you get the idea. Pursuing God. It teaches us how to have joy and happiness. Now, here's a little nugget for you that you can use for any area of life. Doesn't have to be a Christian area, it could be any area of life. In goal setting, there's something called lag measures and lead measures. You've probably heard the term before. Don't lag behind. You ever heard that term? Don't lag behind. Darling's a type A person. As we're pulling into a parking lot, like, like if we go out to eat, as I'm pulling into the parking lot, she's already halfway out of the car before I put it in, in park. And then she's from here to the wall when I get out. And um, so I heard one time Joyce Meyer said she does that. She's just on the move. And so as she's a half a block away from her, I say, slow down, Joyce. You know, slow down. I'm, I'm going to catch up with you. Uh, so la don't lag behind. I'm the one that lags behind. Don't lag behind. And then we talk about leading, taking the front, being out front. Well, in goal setting, there's things called lag measures and lead measures. Now, I want to explain this to you, and it's going to have a spiritual uh, connection here in a second. Let's say you set a goal this year. I'm going to save $1,000. So on January 1st, you write out a New Year's resolution. I'm going to save $1,000. You put it in an envelope, and on December 31st, you open it up, and it says, I'm going to save $1,000. And so you excitedly go look in your savings account, and there's three bucks in it. And you say, goal setting doesn't work. I knew that wouldn't work. That's ridiculous. Well, what happened was you just experienced a lag measure. You saw something that lagged way behind what needed to be done to make that goal come to pass. On December 31st, it's too late to do anything that could save you $1,000 that year. The year is over. So there's a thing called lead measures. In a lead measure, you say, I'm going to save $1,000 this year. And then you say, why do I have to do the lead the way to that? And then you take out your calculator, you do some fancy math, and you figure out that it takes $19.23 a week to save $1,000. That's a lead measure. So at the end of week one, you can say, did I save $19.23? And the answer is yes. Week two, week three, week four. If a week five is no, you can act on it right then. You can deal with it right then. And then guess what? Because you did the lead measures, when you get to the end of the year, you'll look in your bank account and you'll find $1,000. You didn't lag behind. Your information kept you up to date all the time. Well, it's the same way with joy and happiness. You can say on January 1st, I'm going to have more joy and happiness this year. Put it in the envelope. Open it up on December 31st and say, I didn't have any more joy and happiness this year. I think I was grumpier this year. I think I was more mopey this year than normal. Ah, this doesn't work. Well, there's lead measures. How can we lead ourselves into making that a success? Well, 1 Peter 
Chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you have not seen the Lord, you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Here's a lead measure. Love Jesus. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible, unspeakable, and glorious joy. Wow. I love him. I, I believe in him. It produces a joy in our lives. How about Psalm 1611? You make known to me the path of life. Remember Jesus said, I'm the way. He makes known to us the path of, of life. And it says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your what? Presence. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So you're being in God's presence. You can be in God's presence with, with uh, fellowshipping like you're doing right now with worship as you're driving along in the car, with thinking and pondering about God. The, the, the Bible declares that there's a time where the things of God have no interest to us. In fact, they become dis, they're distasteful to us. They're distasteful to Jesus. To some, he's a stepping stone. To others, he's a stone of offense. But if you'll step into a relationship with Jesus, that begins to change. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, the ways of God are not dis, distasteful to me. I love them. Then all of a sudden you say, wow, your word is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. What happened? You used to spit it out. You didn't want it. Now you're hungry for it because you've gotten to know him. You, you've fallen in love with him. You get to know the goodness of his word. Here's the Amplified Bible in John 10.10. 10. The Amplified Bible expands on different words. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking. So we need to determine, is Jesus a liar? The, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, came that they may have and enjoy life. That's how the, the Amplified Bible, they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's how I want it, don't you? I want it, I want it to splash out on people. Now, I will tell you this. There are some people that your splash of joy, and, and by the way, you can be obnoxious with your joy and with your happiness, I get that, but just live in regular life, you're just, have the joy of the Lord, and it'll just splash out on people. Most people will appreciate it, but some people don't, because misery loves company. They will try to pull you down, and you just can't let that happen. You just have to go on, do life, because you need overflow. You need to splash out on people. I love this quote from John Piper. I think encapsulate what I'm saying today. John Piper coined another term that just is odd to go together. Christian atheist, odd to go together. This one is Christian hedonist. Now, if you're not familiar with the word hedonist, a hedonist is somebody who has one passion, and that's pleasure. I want to fulfill my pleasure. Normally, the word Christian and hedonist do not go together. But John Piper coined this idea in the 90s, and he coined this phrase, the Christian hedonist. So I put a quote by John Piper up there. It says, by Christian hedonism, I do not mean that our happiness is the highest good. I mean that pursuing the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. But almost all Christians believe this. Christian hedonism says more, namely that we should pursue happiness and pursue it with all of our might. The desire to be happy is a proper motive for every good deed. Do you ever find miserable people waking up saying, I wonder what good I can do for people today? No, they don't. Happy people do. 
The desire to be happy is a proper motive for every good deed, and if you abandon the pursuit of your own joy, you cannot love man or please God. Hmm. Now, if you expand it upon everything he teaches, he will say again, it's not pursuing the highest good, it's pursuing that which creates the highest good, which is God. And when you pursue him, all this other stuff comes into play. Jesus said that. Jesus said that if we would seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all the things the world is running after would be given to us as well. You see that seeking God is a lead measure. And what it does is it creates the blessing of God. So where the benefits and the favor of God is on our lives, and we're happy, and we're blessed, and it changes things. I wonder what would happen if everyone who names the name of Jesus on planet Earth today walked out and did life filled with joy and happiness. Filled with joy and happiness because they sought the greater good, not because they got the promotion or nothing, nothing in this life. They are filled with the goodness of God. They're seeking after God. They're doing his ways. And they wake up every day with joy and happiness. I wonder what would happen. I wonder if our Christian faith would be so contagious and would be, dare I say, so irresistible that the scripture would be true. There's a scripture that says this, and I believe me, you, I'm talking to me too, we all need to live life in such a way that this scripture is true. The Bible says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you why you have this hope within you. Now I have to say, I don't have people running up to me all the time saying, I got to know what you got. I, I, what, what are you taking? What are you popping? What are you smoking? What are you drinking? I got to have whatever it is you have and say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. But what if we lived our lives in such a way that at least on occasion, classmates, coworkers, neighbors would say, I, I want what you have. And you could say, you know what? You can have, because it's a him, it's Jesus. I think if it would splash over and spill over onto others, it would make life better. Isn't it true what Dennis Yeager said, or Prager said? Happy people, their lives are better. The people around them's lives are better. And the world is better when we're filled with joy and filled with happiness. So the question for us is, how can I deepen my relationship with Jesus? Now, you're all intelligent thinking people. I'm sure you can answer that. How can I deepen my relationship with Jesus? And it may be different from person to person. Maybe, maybe you need to up it in this area, or maybe you need to start this or stop that. That would be different from person to person, but you can pause this week and ask yourself, how can I deepen my relationship with Jesus? Because he is the fountainhead of joy and happiness. What can I do this week? What can I do that will help me delight in the principles of God? What is it that I can do? What position can I put myself in that I actually would say the principles and word of God sweeter than honey from a honeycomb? I've had the pleasure of eating honey from a honeycomb. It, it, it don't get no better than that. I was just a little kid. We were reciting my uncle's house. Popped off some of the wood. There's a honeycomb in there. I still remember that's how good it was. They brought me over this little piece of the honeycomb, the actual honeycomb, the honey dripping off of it. And I, I put it in my mouth. And went, oh, my goodness, that is so good. What, what could we do that the word of God and the ways of God would just be like that? Where That memory, I was probably about six years old. That memory is still burned in my heart all these 30 years later uh, or, or so. 
Thank you. I don't need the laugh track for that one. I appreciate that. I just find it funny that you think that's funny, that there's no way I could be that age. But anyway, I remember that. What about the Word of God that we could do that we go, wow, that's so sweet. And you know what? You know what my little taste buds wanted? More. More. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, there's two things going to happen. One, you're going to go, mmm, 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 that's good. And you know what else happens? At least it happens with me when I taste something good. I want more of it. I'll take another helping of that. Now, even in the flesh, you can say, but, but you're full, Tracy. I don't care. I want more. Wouldn't it be nice? God say, but you're full. I don't care. I want more. I want more of you, more of you, more of you, more of your ways, more of your word. God has made known to us the path of life. Let's walk in it, and the result will be our greatest joy and our greatest happiness will come from that. Let's pray together.